0: Hi everyone, welcome to this new episode of A Book with a Bubble Tea. I'm your host, Mira He. At this show, I'm going to share some books from East Asia about parenting, entrepreneurship, and life. You don't see them on your usual English bookshelves, but trust me, they are worth your time. So if this sounds like your cup of tea, or should I say bubble tea, then follow me. Let's try to learn from a different perspective. Today, we're diving into another cool book, and this book is on popular psychology. It's written by a Chinese psychotherapist, Li guo Cui. The original title of the book in China is called Habitual Escapist, with the subtitle called What Are You Fearful Of? In Taiwan, the title of the book is tweaked into To Those Who Always Hide and Run Away with the subtitle of Behind Every Avoidance Behavior There Lies a Reason to Be Cared For And from the title, you can tell it's addressing to those people or those common behaviors that we have that we just want to hide away from the situation that we don't want to deal with Instead of like tackling full on, we just kind of want to hide ourselves away and to uh, escape from it. And both titles of the this book totally capture my heart because I can see myself being that person. It speaks directly to me. I can totally relate to the struggles of knowing I should take care of something long ago, but because I'm too scared, so it get procrastinated and then nothing gets done and the situation gets worse. You know, like letting go of that under of underperforming staff member or firing that client who is always complaining and then never pays on time, or as simple as just telling my gym trainer to get off his phone and watch me working out. I've dealt with so many relationship issues where I know I should take actions long ago, but fear just holds me back. Thankfully, as a business owner, I've been forced to face those uncomfortable situations and learn from it. But let me tell you, it's never easy. And I still caught myself often procrastinating it or acting too late and sometimes even resulting in financial losses for the company. And the worst is my personal life. You know, if that happened to me, I often just turn a blind eye because I just can't be bothered to fix things. It's frustrating, you know. But why is it like that? Why am I like that? Why can't I just be bold and go for what I want? And what exactly am I so afraid of? That's what I hope to find out from this book. Before we begin, let's talk a little bit about the author, Li Guo Cui. She's a seasoned psychological counselor and psychotherapist from China, specializing in cognitive behavioral therapy, psychoanalysis, and family therapy. If you speak the language, you might have seen her columns in mainstream Chinese media, like China Youth Daily or China News. She also got quite some followers on WeChat. So this book consists of 30 chapters covering four main topics. Here's a sneak peek into some of the chapter titles that really, really resonate with me. First, if you don't solve the problem, you become the problem. Those who are afraid of failure have already lost from the start. Your compromises become a breeding ground for others to take advantage of. You're ready an overachiever, yet you still struggle with self-doubt. Why do you always feel unworthy of love? Should consistently create distorted relationships? We live as giants yet remain trapped in islands of loneliness. If you can control your emotions, how can you control your life? Just reading those titles, I can already see myself in so many of those situations, but there are two chapters that hit me the hardest and we are going to talk more about it. The first one is the opening chapter. If you don't solve the problem, you become the problem. In this chapter, the author introduces the concept of type C personality. These are people who are timid about expressing their opinions and avoid confrontation at all costs. They rather let people owe them money then ask for it back or let others take advantage of them instead of standing up for themselves they avoid conflicts to keep the peace even if they are in the right according to the author type c personalities often grew up neglected they were probably punished were criticized for speaking their minds and were taught to prioritize others over themselves it's a common personality type among east asians where the societies are more authoritarian and subordinates are expected to be submissive. Collective interest trumps individual needs, men are expected to be the breadwinners and sacrifice for their firms, and women are expected to sacrifice for their families. When reading through the chapter, I can't help but see glimpses of my mom, my grandmother, and even myself in these type C personality traits. Let me share a little about them. My mom is a superstar. Ever since she married my dad, she's taken on the responsibility of caring for his elderly parents while also raising three kids and working full-time. My dad worked in a different city, so he was only home on weekends. Can you imagine the load on my mom's shoulders? On top of that, my grandfather developed s and my grandmother had bipolar disorder. It was tough, let me tell you. From Monday to Friday, she was nonstop busy with family and work. And on weekends, she had to be the perfect housewife, running errands, cooking, and doing chores. She was juggling, taking care of two rebellious teenage daughters, a toddler son, a father-in-law with dementia, and a mother-in-law with bipolar disorder. My dad's job prevented him from being present. And him also having a lot of stuff on his plate means even when he's physically present, he wasn't emotionally present. It's a miracle my mom managed to keep it all together. She sacrificed herself completely for the sake of the family's happiness and always put others' needs before her own. She did her best to be a good mother, wife, daughter-in-law, and employee. But let me tell you, even though she smiled most of the time, she occasionally exploded. Looking back, I understand why she needed to release her anger. But, you know, walking on eggshells for us was also not fun. Then there's my grandmother, who took explosions to a whole new level. She had bipolar disorder, and let me tell you, her outbursts were like atomic bombs. Her upbringing didn't allow her to express her needs for love and attention, so she enjoyed a lot just to survive. She sought attention and love through emotional manipulation and threats. It was intense. My grandmother was an orphan, and uh, when she was a little girl, she was sold to my grandfather's family to become his future wife. It was a way for poor families back in those days to un- unload the burden of raising girls and we are talking about like back in 1920s of old age China. And these girls were treated like housemaids until they got married and started producing offspring. When she finally married into this wealthy family, The China-Japan war broke out and she witnessed the brutal Nanjing massacre. She saw how the Japanese slaughtered Chinese people and she narrowly escaped raids and death herself. Eventually, she fled to Taiwan with a newborn baby in her arms, but life in Taiwan wasn't a walk in the park either. After giving birth to her second son, who became my father. She fell critically ill multiple times, almost reaching the brink of death. And when she miraculously recovered, her eldest son, the one she worked so hard to bring to Taiwan, took his own life. It was devastating. All these suppressed emotions led to her developing bipolar disorder. She became prone to misinterpretation others' behaviors always thinking other people had malicious intentions and when she wanted attention and love, it turned into a full-blown drama complete with emotional manipulation. It was like a soap opera at times. And in terms about me, growing up in a family like that, being the oldest daughter, I quickly learned to handle my own problems and be independent. Mom was often too exhausted to have a chat with me, and Dad was always busy and pretty distant, both physically and emotionally. My mom and I were the least of his worries to look after. During my teenage years, I sort of internalized the feeling of not getting enough attention from my parents. I didn't want to be the jealous sister competing for attention with my three-year-old brother. And there was no way I could win the attention-seeking battles with my dramatic grandmother. So, I took matters into my own hands and kept everything to myself. My feelings, struggles, self-doubts, and even my successes. I believed that other family members needed my parents' attention more. And I could handle things on my own just fine. Putting others' needs before mine became a second nature to me. It's interesting to see how this type C personality trait was passed down from my grandmother to my mom and eventually to me. It really highlights the impact of parenting on shaping a child's worldview, just like this book emphasizes in every chapter. Unfortunately, my grandmother never had a chance to become aware of it, but I'm grateful that my mom and I are more conscious of these patterns. Even when money was tied, my mom insisted on an annual overseas vacation with her friends to unwind and distress. As for me, I'm much more aware of when I chose to put up with things or make sacrifices for others. It's less of an emotional act but more of a deliberate decision on my part now. I carefully weigh the pros and cons and decide what's best for me, for the majority, or for the overall situation. Even if that means I have to make sacrifices, I'm cool with it. The other chapter that this book really resonates with me is about procrastination and self-doubt. I bet many of you can relate too. You know that feeling when you know you should do something but you lack of motivation to just get on with it. It leads to procrastination and then frustration starts creeping in and then, you know, it became like a vicious cycle. And to me, unfortunately, it just sounds way too familiar. During my graduate studies, I experienced this cycle on a whole new level. Just the thought of opening a book would bring me to tears and being in a prestigious institution only intensified my self-doubt and fear of disappointing others. It didn't help that I was in the field of political science, constantly comparing myself to native English speakers, and doubting my abilities. It was tough. I felt hopeless and helpless. Your tutors were supervisors who were supposed to teach you seemed disinterested in you, and not knowing how to show my vulnerability also prevented me from building intimate relationship with my peers. In the end, I failed in my academic pursuit at Oxford from an overachiever to a total failure overnight. That's how I saw myself for a very long time. That failure hit me hard and shook my self-confidence to the core. The challenges continued during my career search after leaving Oxford. And the tough economic climate in 2010 made it incredibly difficult for me to land my first job in the UK. It completely eroded my belief in my capabilities. I even started to believe that I would never be able to even pass my driving test. Thankfully, my husband was there to support me he had experienced his own setbacks so he encouraged me to start small rebuild my confidence and believe in myself again by seizing any opportunity that came my way no matter how big or small i slowly overcame my negative emotions and regained my self-assurance but it took a really really long time looking back I have learned the importance of valuing myself independently of external factors which is a recurring theme emphasized by the author throughout the book. Now I'm better equipped to objectively recognize my strengths and my weaknesses without being too hard on myself. I have also embraced vulnerability and started seeking support from others. The secret to success lies not in who you are, but in how you utilize your abilities to play your card and win the game. Your personality, strengths, and weaknesses are like your height. They are neutral factors that don't determine your success. It's all about how you leverage them, balance them, or find ways to motivate them, which is more likely to contribute to your achievement in the end. Takeaway away from this book. So if I were to piece up the author's prescription for changing our behavior, it would be something like this. First, be aware of your feelings and emotions, don't ignore them. Second, accept them, accept your feelings and emotions without judgment, they are valid after all. Third, be careful about labeling yourself. Distinguish between facts and feelings, how you feel doesn't make it the facts. Like failing a diet doesn't make you a person lacking self-discipline or, you know, a lazy being. It just means you might need a different approach, like hiring a dietitian to help you achieve your target. Fourth, make a conscious choice about the action you want to take to bring about change. It's all about being intentional. Fifth, and most importantly, promise to love yourself unconditionally no matter what. You are worth it. Don't let your emotions drive your actions blindly. Acting on impulse only lets your emotions control you, whether it's suppressing them or exploding them. Be aware of your emotions so you can align them with the rationality and make the best choices to achieve the change you desire. And don't be too quick to judge yourself. As the author says, Insecurity often manifests as intellectual laziness. It means we don't analyze ourselves as subject of study. I'll take it a step further and say that any assertive argument that starts with Oh, I am something, so I must be something, is just flawed. Here's the truth. Every trait and feeling are neutral. They are just cards in your hands. You can't control which cards you are dealt, but you can control how you play them. So next time, you catch yourself thinking, oh, I am so fat, so I must be something. I am so lazy, I must be, so that's why I cannot make it. If you caught yourself thinking about this, I am da 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 da, so I must be da 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 da, just pause and reconsider. Think, I am da 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 da, so maybe I can do da 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 to achieve my goal. like. I don't have much self-control, so maybe I need to get a trainer at a gym in order to help me lose weight, or I really need to get this podcast episode to done, but I really lack of self-discipline to do it on my own, so maybe I should get a partner or an editor or a producer to help me achieve this goal, talking about myself. Your personality traits don't determine success or failure. It's how you play your cards that counts. But above all, always remember that you and everyone else are unique, valuable, and irreplaceable. No matter what happens, no matter how badly you feel, no one can diminish your worth, not even yourself. Unconditional self-love is the most important thing hold on to it tightly. I truly believe this book has the power to resonate with readers, connecting and encouraging us throughout its chapters. Unlike typical psychology books that are heavy on theory or case studies, each chapter feels relatable, making it an effortless yet impactful read. I highly recommend it, especially if you can read it in Chinese. this book didn't say. Saying that, there is something worth mentioning that the book didn't explicitly state, but I think it's important to keep in mind. Even though the author tells us not to judge ourselves based on others' standards, the others still offer her own set of right behaviors in the book. For example, it implies that being afraid of failure is a losing game, and we should have healthy, aggression attitudes towards other people who are trying to take advantage of us. Sure, the author provides suggestions for changing our behavior, like expressing our opinions when something doesn't sit right with us. However, here's the thing. Real-life situations are more complex. There is no one-size-fits-all formula to sort out your unique circumstances. Imagine today you work in a customer service And one day, a customer starts shouting at you. You know you are not at fault, so you feel wronged and hurt and uncomfortable. But at that moment, at that particular moment, when the customer is yelling, is expressing your feeling the best thing to do? Maybe yes, or maybe not. It's totally up to you. You are entitled to your feelings. You deserve the space to process them. But whether to address the situation immediately or later, or how to handle that customer in the best way possible, that's just up to you. As long as it's a conscious choice, not an impulsive emotional reaction, then you are good. You are the only one who can weigh the pros and cons and decide on the most suitable course of action based on your specific circumstances. So take the author's prescription with a grain of salt. Use it wisely. Lastly, let me share my three favorite quotes from this book. First, we must understand that the only thing we have control over is our own inner selves. Those so-called social standards are just a bluff, a paper tiger. If we fear them, they will overpower us. But when we genuinely disregard and pay no mind to them, they lose their power over us. Second, self-love is all about unconditionally taking care of yourself. No matter what happens, you must affirm that you are worthy of love and hold intrinsic value. Your worth doesn't fluctuate with external circumstances. It should manifest as conscious power and behavior within yourself. And guess what? Those who don't grasp self-love will struggle to understand the true meaning of love and will find it difficult to love others. Third, wounds need to be acknowledged in order to heal. There you have it. That's the essence of this amazing book. It's been a pleasure sharing it with you. Stay true to yourselves, embrace your quirks, and always remember your worth. Keep being awesome. That's it from today's episode. I hope you like it. We'll see you next time. Bye!